0: So I have no experience in being a chaplain, but I've heard enough stories from our veteran chaplain pastor, uh, Pastor Gene. You know, get with Pastor Gene sometimes and ask him about these different chaplain stories. They're, they're great. But also I've learned from movies like The Right Stuff, right, what, what it means to, to be a chaplain. And I know from Pastor Gene and from watching The Right Stuff that nobody celebrates or rejoices when they see the chaplain Making a surprise appearance to their doorstep, right? You know, we we all have that that vision of that movie in mind, where they, he gets out of the car and in a suit, and then the woman starts to weep, right, as the chaplain's walking up to the door because she knows that, you know, he's going to be delivering a death notification to um, there to the wife. Now, if a person rejoices when a when they receive the death notification. Then we need to talk about that, right? There's, there's probably something wrong there. There's, some, there's probably something more that, that we need to sit down and discuss on, on why a person would rejoice the moment they receive a death notification. Now, the Apostle Paul this morning puts on his chaplain's hat as he speaks to the church in Rome, and also as well as for you and I here at Calvary Hanford, and he delivers to us a death notification. Now, as we hear this death notification, we can rejoice, we can celebrate. Now we need to talk more about that right? What does that even mean? How can we rejoice and celebrate when we find out that you and I have died? Well first of all we can rejoice because we learned that death means freedom from the old life. Death means the freedom from the old you. You see people who are dead no longer struggle with addictions. They no longer have to pay debt or taxes they no longer have to endure prison sentences. They're no longer bound to their old slave masters, right? When a person's die, you know, when a person dies, they're free from those old obligations. Now, Paul in verse two says, "Well, you did die in Christ." Verse two says that you died to the whole problem of sin, and as a result, verse seven says that you've been now freed from the power of sin. And verse seventeen says that includes. Slavery to sin and to Satan. And so sin and Satan is no longer your master because you have died to those things. You, you no longer have to serve those things because of your new position. But second, because of our identification with Christ, you and I have been raised to the newness of life. Yes, we have died in Christ, but we've been raised to the newness of life. And that's what Paul teaches in 2 Corinthians 5:17. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. The old you is gone the moment you believed in Christ. And now you are a new creation in Christ. And because of that, we can now walk in the newness of life, we see here in verse 4. We can have power over sin in the flesh to not yield to those things, verses 12 and 13 says. And we now have purpose in life because we're no longer servants of sin. Now we're servants of God to fruit, to righteousness, and to holiness. And you see, so our death notification gives us joy because of our position in Christ and all that the Lord has done for, them, for us. So as we work through this chapter this morning, we'll divide it into three sections. We'll see our identity with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. Second, we'll see our power over sin. And third, we'll see the enabling to walk in practical holiness. So let's begin in verses 1-4 and see our identification with Christ in His death, burial, and resurrection. Paul begins by saying, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? The question is asked in light of what Paul just taught in chapters 1-5. through five. You see, we're told in these chapters that God and His grace sent Christ to be our substitute and sacrifice for the broken law that you and I have committed. And because we have broken God's law, we are under God's wrath. That was our position before we came to know Christ. But because of Christ's work on the cross, God is now free to declare us righteous by faith alone. God, God can be the just and the justifier of those who have faith in Christ because of what Christ accomplished for us on the cross. You see, when I come to know Christ, the moment I believe the gospel, I don't need to clean myself up before I come. God accepts me just as I am. The moment I heard the gospel, I didn't have to go out and work. I just believed, In the moment I believed, God has done a work in my heart. He changes me. He declares me righteous. Now, Paul, in light of this, says in Romans 5.20, he says, where sin abounds grace abounds much more. Now, some people would say, well, but you don't know the things that I've done. You don't know my past. You don't know, that the, you know the guilt and the, you know, and the weight of guilt that I feel because of the things I've done in my past. And Paul says, you know what? Where sin abounded, grace abounds much more. Grace abounds much more. To quote Dennis Agaginian, Jesus is a greater Savior than you are a sinner. Right? He's able to meet us exactly where we are. He is a greater Savior than we are a sinner. Well, in light of that, Paul then asked the question, well, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Now, the word continue here refers to a lifestyle. And that's what our life was before Christ. It was a lifestyle of habitual sin. But God met us, you know, in that, you know, in the middle of that lifestyle and He saved us and He changed us. And so Paul asks, well, since we are saved by grace and God's grace is magnified in the fact that he was able to deliver us from that sin, even though we we're a sinner. Should we continue just sinning that God's grace could just abound more and more? And he says, certainly not. Verse 2, how shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Now, I'm told that the word certainly not is one of the strongest ways to say no in the Greek language. This phrase has been translated, absolutely not, may it never be, God forbid, of course not, perish the thought. The New Testament is clear that grace does not give license to sin or to lawlessness. Rather, grace gives you freedom from sin. You died to it, you can no longer live in it. Now we all know dead men tell no tales, right? Well, besides Lazarus, right? And there in Luke, 7, you know, Luke 16, he, we have some tales about him. But you know what? Dead men live in sin no more. That's, that's one that we should, should know. And we're told why we can be free from sin because of what we're given in verse 3. Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him through baptism into death that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in the newness of life. And so Paul is teaching the believers a foundational truth that they should know because of the regular practice of water baptism that they were aware of and that they had experience. Water baptism does not save, but it is, it is the outward demonstration of the work of salvation that, that happens the moment a person puts their faith in the gospel. The moment a person places their faith in the gospel, they are placed into the body of Christ. They are now identified with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrections. Paul talks about how the believer is in Christ, and that's kind of one of his favorite phrases that he uses. You can read the book of Ephesians, and he always uses that, in Christ, in him, in, you know, in the Messiah. And what that talks about is our position in Him. That's how God now sees us. And that's how we should see ourselves. And as I understand my position, and then I start to align my practice, my Christian life, in light of that position, I should walk in light of that. And Paul says, let me tell you how God sees you. God sees you, the moment you believe, as identified, as united, as we'll see, with Christ in this work that He accomplished through the cross for us it's a blessing that you and I should understand and therefore live for the believer through the gospel is baptized or placed into Christ we're now identified with him and that's really what the word baptism means it means identification and the illustration is given of a white t-shirt that is dipped into a, a you know a, a bucket of red dye right the dye is red. You know, the t shirt white. And when that t shirt is dipped, immersed into that red dye, it comes out red. It's now identified with that dye. And that is exactly what the word baptism means. You see, you and I have been identified with Christ through our salvation. And that's why we have baptism as full immersion, because we're identifying. It's an outward demonstration of the work that God has done for us in identifying us with Jesus. Paul uses this concept in his other letters. Listen to what he said in Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Colossians 2.20. Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourself to its regulations? Now notice each of these passages is not given as a philosophical truth to just think about. It's a truth that affects the way that you live. And that's what positional truth is. It is truth that should affect the way that I think, and therefore the way that I act. It's true of me, so therefore I should live it and apply it. Notice what Paul says at the end of verse 4. Even so, we also should walk in the newness of life. Since it's true, there's power behind it. We can now live a new life in Christ. Our identification with Christ is the basis for our power over sin and our practical holiness that we see in the rest of this chapter. So look at verses 5-11. through 11. We see our position in Christ gives us power over sin. For if ye have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. Now, the word if should be understood as since. Since these things are true, this is how we should live and walk. You see, the basis of the Christian life is not what we feel or what we think. It's what we know. It's what we're taught in Scripture. That's why we study the Bible verse by verse and chapter by chapter here at Calvary Chapel because we believe that the Word of God is inspired and it tells us how we should live and think. It gives us a biblical worldview. It gives us a proper understanding. Now in verse 6, Paul says, you know these things. Right? Knowing this. And that is something that we're to understand. Now Paul teaches us how we apply the Word of God to our life. In verse 6, he says, know this truth. And then in verse 11, he says, reckon it to be true. Or, is, here's what the Bible says. Know it. Then understand it. Reckon it to be true. And then verses 12 and 13, he says, okay, well now apply it to your life. Yield yourself as a result of it. And that's the basic teaching of the Bible. You're to understand the word, apply it to your life, and then live it out. And that's what Paul does here. Now, the truth that Paul is teaching, again, is talking about this un- this unity that you and I have with Christ through our salvation, through Are believing the gospel. And he used the word united. Now I'm told that the Greek word united is only used here in the New Testament. And so therefore when scholars look at it, they look at how it was used in the first century in the Greek around them at the time. And it was used in two ways, usually about trees and, and, and plants and things like that. One place would speak of a tree, two trees, growing together and over time they, they eventually grow together and become one. Another way, it was used of branches that were grafted into another branch. You see, the two basically become one. And that's what happens to you and I the moment we place our faith in Jesus. You see, we become united in Christ in such a way that we're now identified with him. That when people see us, they, they see Jesus. And the truths that are true for him are now true for you and I. And Paul tells us one of these truths, one of these practical blessings in verse 6. He says, As a result of our identification with Christ, our old man was crucified with Christ, so the body of sin can be done away with. Now the word old here is referring to the quality of something. It's referring to the quality of something, not necessarily the age, but the quality. And this word old is used as something that is worn out, useless, or destroyed. And this is talking about you and your sin nature before you came to the Lord. The moment you were born or conceived, you were born with a sin nature. The moment you were conceived, you had a sin nature. And this sin nature, when we were born into this world and as we lived, it dominated our life. Paul tells us how this is so in Ephesians 2, 1-3. Here's what he says. He says, "...and you he made alive who were dead in trespassed and sins." In which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath just as the others. You see, if you're here this morning and you're not a believer, sadly you also have a death notification. But you can't rejoice over this death notification because you're dead in trespasses and sins. And you can't rejoice because it doesn't lead to life like ours does with the resurrection of Christ, but it leads to the wrath of God. You're children of wrath. Now, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. God doesn't desire that anyone should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But if a person, because of their sin nature, continues on the path that they are then God can have no other choice but to place His wrath upon you. So the Bible says we need to repent and believe the gospel, and then you can be changed, you can be transformed through His Spirit. Now for the believer, the moment we did repent and believe, we were changed, we were crucified with Christ, we were buried, we were resurrected with Him to the newness of life. Now Bob Hoekstra, in his book, How How to Counsel God's Way, uses Humpty Dumpty to illustrate secular secular psychology's attempt to fix a dead sinner. I love it. It's it's one of the greatest examples I ever heard. He said, there they are, all the king's horses and all the king's men, surrounding Humpty Dumpty, trying to figure out how to put him together again. What are we going to do? He's cracked, right? He's all messed up. What are we going to do? How how are we going to fix him? Maybe there's some glue that we can put on him, you know, to fix him, to repair him. Maybe we can give him like a Humpty Dumpty Darth Vader body, right? You know, kind of like, you know, he, he's partly still there. Maybe we can get like some mechanical body for Humpty Dumpty. You know what? The only solution for Humpty Dumpty is he's dead. We need to bury him, right? That's that's the 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 state of Humpty Dumpty. But for you and I, yes, we were dead and buried, but we came to life in Christ, right? The moment we believe. There's the newness of life. Now, the result of this newness of life is that we now no longer are under the power of the body of sin. Notice this. The old man, that is our sin nature, has been crucified with Christ. But now, Paul says that the body of sin could be done away with. Done away does not mean eradicated, but it means to be rendered inoperative. And the body of sin is referring to what we call the flesh. Oftentimes when you read Paul's letter, he talks about the flesh. The flesh wars against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. Now the flesh is the principle of sin that remains in my unredeemed physical body after I'm born again. You see, the moment I believe in Christ, I am made a new creation in Christ. I'm ready for heaven. My soul is ready for heaven. Nothing needs to change. But my body is not yet redeemed. That's not going to happen until the rapture or the resurrection. And until I'm either raptured or I'm glorified with Christ, I will continue to war with the flesh, which is that principle sin that remains in my unredeemed human body. But Paul says, good news, since you're a Christian now, you can now say no to those impulses of the flesh because you have a new nature within you. You see, your old nature was enslaved to your flesh because it had no power. It was the old man. But that old man has been dethroned. He's been crucified. And now the new you lives. The new I, as Paul would say in Romans 7. And now you can say no to those impulses. Those sinful desires. That's the power that we have in Christ. And that's what he's communicating here. Look at verse 7. For he who has died has been freed from sin. You see, the believer in Jesus Christ has been freed from sin. And this is actually the same word as the word justification. It's a legal term. It means that you have been declared innocent. You've been acquitted of all guilt and all punishment and so therefore we are not just legally set free, but we are powerfully set free. We're no longer legally bound to our masters. Right? That slave master that, you know, that that tyrant who ruled our life. God says, you're no longer bound to them. You don't have to listen to them anymore. You don't have to obey their voice. You can say no and you have the legal right and the power to do so. Verse 8 Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we also shall live with Him, knowing that Christ, having been been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over Him. For the death that He died, He died to sin once for all, that the life He lives, He lives to God. You see, since Christ died, we now can have a new salvation. And so Christ had to subject Himself to death. You see, God became a man. He took a human nature... And Paul says in Philippians 2 that he had to be subject to this death. He had to willingly offer himself. And death did have dominion over him for a time. But it couldn't hold him forever. And that's what the Psalms prophesied. He couldn't couldn't be left in, in the grave because the scriptures prophesied that the Messiah would raise again from the dead. And he did after three days. He rose again from the dead, declaring our freedom and his power over sin and death. Christ had dominion over it. Now, the word here for uh, dominion is actually the word Lord. It's it's a really interesting word. It says death no longer has dominion over him. So death was not the Lord over the Lord himself. He is the Lord of death. And by his death and resurrection, he shows that he conquers death and all those that are in him will also conquer death and we can have a newness of life. Also, we can learn something else about Christ's death and why he came. You know, Good Friday's coming up, which we remember Christ's death. And Paul says, well, here's why Christ came to die. It was not a failure, nor was it just a mere example that Christ came. No, but he came to die to sin once and for all. You see, he came to deal with the penalty and problem of sin once and for all. And that refers to the claims, the wages, the demands, the penalties, anything. As anything that as it relates to sin, he came to, to deal with it once and for all. And he did. And he proved that he was, that he did through the resurrection. Paul says that he was delivered for our offenses, but he was raised for our justification. Showing us that the problem of sin has been dealt with. Verse 11. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, Christ, after he died and rose again, he ascended to the right hand of the Father. And God now has a plan and purpose for Jesus, we're told, that he is now exalted at the right hand, and he is now ready to come and rule and reign this earth, which he will, as, you know, as the time determined by the Father. So God's plan is not done. You see, his earthly life ended, you know, his ministry ended, but now he is at God's right hand in a new and powerful way, ready to come and rule and reign. And Paul says, that's what's true with you. You see, you and I, we died, we've been raised, and now we're to relate to God in a new way. God has a new plan for your life, a new purpose for your life, a new direction than the way that you had before you were a Christian. Everything is new, about how God wants to use you and work through you and and bless you. All these things are through the Lord. Paul says, compare your new position in Christ with Christ's new position as as the resurrected Son of God at His right hand. Now, the word reckon doesn't mean I think so. It reminds me of McGee. I reckon so, you know, as he would say as a Texan. No, but reckon means to account these things as true. It's actually a mathematical term, a banking term. It means to take the facts and make a logical decision and conclusion based on the facts. What does my faith in the cross equal? It means death to the old life and power to live a new life. That's what it is, in in the simplest form. Now third, in verses 12 through 23, in Christ we have the ability to walk in practical holiness. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lust. The word therefore shows us that Paul is now applying what he just taught in verses 1 through 11. You see, our salvation, he says, is not a reformation. It's not a remodel. At Public Works, where I work on the base, we call it lipstick on a pig, right? He didn't just fix this up outwardly. You know, and just, you know, kind of slap some duct tape on there and say, All right, I think it's I think you guys are good to go now. No. He transformed us. We've been spiritually remade. We've been transformed. We're now alive in him. And since I'm a new creation, I have a new relationship to sin. And Paul tells us what that new relationship to sin is. He says, We're not to allow it to have dominion over us, and we're not to obey it in its lusts. Now, these impulses, he says here comes from your mortal body. He said, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey its less. So now it's important to note that when we talk about the flesh, we don't just mean that the body in itself is evil. Obviously, the physical body, there's nothing evil in itself of the physical body. And we know that because Jesus had a physical body, right, and he had no sin. And so, you know, so we shouldn't just beat the physical body, you know, start mutilating ourselves like some of these weird cults do and things like that. No, what he's talking about, is he's talking about the principle of sin that remains in our physical body until redemption and that is what the flesh is called in scripture. For example, Paul says in Romans 7.18 that nothing good dwells in his flesh, that is in his body. Within the flesh, Paul says, is the law of sin Romans 7.28 and so, therefore, the believer is not to walk in the flesh, but in the Spirit. Romans 8. And so, and so, the flesh is what remains, these principles that remain after I'm born again in our human body. And good news, one day we'll be glorified and we'll be freed from that presence of sin. But until then, we can know that we have power over that principle of sin as we walk in the Spirit and not in the flesh. You can say no to your old man and those propensities to sin. Verse 13, and do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present your present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. So the believer every day has a choice. I can choose to walk in the spirit, or I can choose to walk in the flesh. And that's what Galatians 5 says. If I choose to yield to the flesh, well then I'm going to present my body as instruments, as weapons for the flesh. But if I choose to yield my life to God and walk in his spirit, well then my body and my life is used as an instrument to serve God in his way. It, it, it's our choice. Now Paul does refer to the body and members in his different analogies. Think about the first Corinthians chapter 12. He says, as the body as one, but has many members, right? And so he talked about the physical body In that way. And so he's he's using an analogy here, talking about, you know, we have a choice. What am I gonna do with my life? My the way I think, the way I act, how I use my body, my time, my energy. Am I gonna choose to yield it to the Lord and allow him to use my life? Or am I gonna choose to allow you know the enemy to use my life for his unrighteous purposes? Paul says in Colossians three, eight through ten, but now you yourselves are to put off all these. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Notice the word sense in verse 9 of Colossians. Since you have put off the old man and have put on the new man. The putting off and the putting on is something that happened past tense the moment you came to Christ. And so since you have put off this old man, he's crucified, well now you have a choice. What are you going to wear? What are you going to put on? Are you going to choose to put on the flesh in the morning or are you going to choose to walk in the spirit and put on Christ and allow him to use your life in that way? Verse 14, "For For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. Now, Paul presents another aspect of sin in verse 14. He says sin is a master. And Paul, Paul does not say sin is like a master, but sin has dominion over all those who are under its control, all those who are not under grace. And the word dominion is lordship. That's what it is. It's, it's lordship. A, sin is the lord of a person's life. A person might be free who's an, feel like they're free who's a unbeliever. They say, oh, I'm not bound by any religion. I live my life for myself. Well, in reality, you are actually under the slavery of sin and Satan. You don't realize it, as Ephesians 2 says. But the moment you and I come to Christ, we're now freed from that that bondage. Now, notice Paul talks about the believer standing under grace and no longer under law. And so, uh, and, and he actually explains this in Romans 7. You see, the law was given to sinners this is something interesting. This, Paul brings this out in all of his letters. He said, Here's the issue. The law was given to sinners who are not born again, and, they, and the law said, Obey my commands perfectly. You must obey all my commands perfectly. That's what God said to the Old Testament saints. And if you break one law, then you're guilty of them all. And if you break one law, well, then you're now under the curse of the law. And so Paul describes life being under the law as a burden. It was something that was a yoke of bondage because they could never keep the law because the law was given to point out the fact that you're a sinner. And that's what it was. It was to point believers to Christ. And that's why as we're going through the Gospel of John, Jesus says, if you guys really obeyed Moses, you'd be following me right now. Because you would realize that you're a sinner and that you can't keep the law. You can't be made righteous by the law. But it pointed to the sacrifice and the Savior that would come, the one who would save man from their sins. The law did not give a person... The power to keep the law. It did not bring transformation. But grace does in Christ. You see, grace is the fulfillment of the law. That Jesus fulfilled those things. And now in Christ, I am now made a new creation. And that's what he's bringing out here. So because you have this new creation, you're no longer under bondage. Verse 15, what then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law, but under grace? Certainly not. So Paul now anticipates the Jewish antagonists. He says, oh. Now, you say you're under grace. Well, should we sin now that we're under grace and not under law? And Paul says, no, perish the thought. God forbid, don't think like that. Now, I'm told that the the question that Paul is asking here about sin is actually a different question than he asked in verse 2. You see, verse 2 is talking about the continual lifestyle, the habitual lifestyle of sin. But verse 15 is referring to the choice to commit an individual act of sin. So in other words, is, is what he's saying is, okay, I'm under grace, so is it okay for me to just at times choose sin and then I can repent, right? Maybe yeah, since I'm under grace, I can just choose to sin. But God, I know God will forgive me. And Paul says, don't think like that. That's a dangerous way to think. Because you need to understand what sin is. And the grip and the hold that it can place on your life, if you choose to give in to it, and that's what he brings out in verse 16. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one's slave whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? And so the believer has a choice in regard to sin: will I yield my body to God, or will I yield my life to, you know, sin? And it's an important decision because Jesus says you can't serve two masters. And if you choose to, to live in sin, well then, it's going to bring death and destruction. Now, he doesn't say that you're going to go to hell, right? Because we believe that a person is born again, right? And a person's saved. We have security and assurance in Christ. But sin brings destruction. It brings death. It, it brings, you know, um, really the punishment of God and sometimes discipline on those who choose to give themselves over to it. But on the other hand, if we walk in righteousness, it yields fruit and it gives and it brings forth life. Verse 17, But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. So you and I were on the path of death, in slavery of sin, But God be thanked, because we were met on that path by the gospel. Now the word God be thanked here is actually the word charis, which is the word grace. Paul says, thank God that you were met by his grace. And because of his grace, you were delivered from that slavery of sin. You see, the believer's life is all of grace from start to finish. You see, God is the first mover in our salvation We love him because he first loved us. It was God's plan to send Christ to save the fallen world. It was God who moved a person to come and share the gospel to you. It was God's grace that worked on your heart that gave you the ability to either accept or reject the gospel. It's all of grace. It's not of us. Yes, we do have a choice in the matter. We need to either choose to accept Christ or reject him. But it's God's grace to, to, to do this work. God doesn't force a person to accept the word of God or the gospel. But he definitely woos our heart, and he moves on our heart in such a way. And Paul says, because we obeyed that grace, we've been set free. Verse 19, now I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness, and of lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of of, of righteousness for holiness." And Paul here chose an illustration of the effects of the old sin nature and the new nature on a person's life. And he uses slavery to illustrate it. You see, slavery was something that was very common in the Roman Empire. And so this was something that these believers could understand. And Paul says he used it for that purpose. He says, because of the weakness of your flesh. He said, I'm teaching a theological truth, so I'm going to use something from your everyday life to kind of illustrate what I'm talking about here. He said, simply put, A slave serves a master. And here we see that there's two sets of servants here. The first are those slaves who serve the sin nature. Right? And those who who give themselves over to lust and pride and and these sorts of things. The result of their service is uncleanness and lawlessness. Uncleanness refers to moral impurity. And lawlessness refers to just kind of the throwing off of God's laws, right? Living however they want. Now these people they walk in sin, but notice they continue to grow in lawlessness. Alright, and so they lead into more and more lawlessness. And that's really the, the 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 spiral, right? The decay of the flesh. Now in contrast are those slaves who serve God in righteousness. And righteousness is what is right, what is true and just it's what we see In the scriptures. As we walk in the truth, Paul says that doesn't lead to lawlessness, but it leads to righteousness. It leads to sanctification, and sanctification is the setting apart of my life for God and his purposes alone. God bears fruit in my life. Verse 20, for when we were slaves of sin, you are free in regard to righteousness. He's talking about these folks before they were believers, He says, before you were a believer, you were free in regard to righteousness. Now, that doesn't mean that there was no penalty or that God condoned sin or that that a person wasn't convicted or felt guilt of it. No, it refers to a, a, a person's nature and desires. Since we had a sin nature, we were controlled by that. We were not compelled to follow God daily, closer and closer every day. We didn't wake up in the morning and think, I'm going to read my Bible all day long today, right? I mean, we weren't thinking, how can I be more like God? How can I love others in a way? How can I put others before myself? No, we work hard as sinners, right? Sinners work really hard, right? I mean, they yield themselves as members of, of instruments to, right, to get their way and to, and to live in sin. They come up with creative ways to, to live in sin. And Paul said, yeah, before you are a believer, you didn't have any regard to these things. You are controlled by your nature. And what is the assessment? Verse 21. What fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. Paul said, think about your life before Christ. Anytime you start feeling tempted to go back to your flesh, your former life, Paul says, think about who you were before Jesus met you by his grace. Paul said, think about how you acted, how you treated people. It's too shameful to even dwell on. Paul says, you know what? Your former life was death. And death in the Bible is always separation. You were separated from God. And you were headed on a destiny to be eternally separated from the Lord. Verse 22, but now having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. Wow, what a contrast to who you are now in Christ. Your old life, destruction, decay, headed for, you know, Uh, eternity separated from God, but now you're set free from sin, you're now a servant of God, you can bear fruit to God and to holiness, and the end of all these things, it just keeps getting better and better and better because it's going to be everlasting, eternal life. And this doesn't just mean the quantity of it, the fact that we're going to live forever, it refers to the quality of eternal life. Because Jesus will come back, and the Bible says that the church is going to rule and reign with him for a thousand years in his kingdom. Right, And then after that thousand years, we're going to live for eternity in the new Jerusalem with the Lord. And so life just keeps getting better and better for us the moment we believe His grace. In closing, verse 23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul gives one last contrast between our former slavery of sin and our new relationship to God. God, the just judge, will pay everyone according to their works. We're told that in Scripture. Those who have rejected Christ and seek to stand before God based on their works, they're going to get paid for their works. And the wages of those sins is death, eternal separation from God and hell. But the believer, on the other hand, because of God's gift, the gift of God, not works, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, it's, grace is all a gift from start to finish. And because of the gift that we received, that form of doctrine that we received, that grace, Paul says, we now have fruit to God, we're free from all of our debt, and we're going to live forever in eternal life with the Lord. So in closing, you and I have have a death notification this morning, but we can rejoice, we can go and tell others about this death notification that we received, because with it came a newness of life that was identified through our baptism. The outward demonstration of this inward change. Our new position in Christ means freedom from sin, from Satan, from death. A power to walk with God in the newness of life. To say no to the flesh and yes to God. God, day by day, is going to continue to bear fruit in our life till one day we're with Him in glory. Amen.